You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. In our society, we're asleep. We have forgotten what we're capable of. We've forgotten what we can really achieve as people. We've bought into a vision of our life that is so far below who we really are. It's a joke. Motivational speaker Tony Robbins. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. After a childhood that he once described as chaotic and abusive, and a pituitary tumor that made him grow 10 inches while he was in high school, Tony Robbins left home at the age of 17 and went out on his own. He didn't go to college, and it looked for a while like his life was going to be filled with disappointment and despair. But then, as he tells it, he hit bottom. He had an epiphany, and he turned his life around, and while still in his early 20s, he became a millionaire and eventually one of the nation's most in-demand motivational speakers. I first met Tony Robbins in 1986, just as his career was really beginning to skyrocket. I met him again in 1991 when he wrote his book, Awaken the Giant Within. So here now, from 1991, Tony Robbins. I think what everybody really wants is they want to change something in their life or improve it. I don't care how successful we are. We always want to make it better. And I think the biggest challenge that people have is when they look at changes they want to make, whether it's a mom at home who wants to be a great mother but also wants to have a life, you know, or a businessman who's trying to figure out how to make it in tough economic times, how do you turn it around, or whether it's somebody whose the relationship doesn't have the passion anymore. They all want to make a change, but they don't know how to make that last. Lose weight for a little while, gain it back. So what the book really is about how to create lasting change. And the mistake that most of us make is that we can do that through willpower. That, you know, I'm going to lose weight by going on a diet. Well, diets have never worked. They never will work. Because as long as you do something that doesn't have the right strategy to it, you're doomed. I mean, you can be a positive thinker all day long. You can be highly motivated. And if you're running east looking for a sunset, you've got a problem. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to fall into the trap of what I call the insanity trap. That's where you do the same things over and over again and expect a different result. You know, we've got to find a different way of doing things. So in this book, what I did is I said, what are the most important lessons, the most important changes that everybody wants? We all want to change the way we feel emotionally. We want to go from being frustrated or overwhelmed or depressed or whatever the emotional state is into feeling passionate or excited or alive or compelled. We all want to do something with our physical body at some level. If we believed it was possible, most people have given up. But if we believed we could have the kind of vitality, not just look good, but the physical vitality, we'd do something about it. We all want to enhance our relationships. Again, if we believe it's possible, most people have given up. But there are ways to do that, and we all want to do better financially. And so this book, what I did is I went out and said, okay, who's the best in each of these areas? What are they doing specifically that works? And instead of just going based on degree or based on conversation, let me see those people and what they're doing. So a classic example is in the Physical Destiny chapter. I interviewed a gentleman who has broken the world's record. He ran 1,000 miles in 11 days. <laughs> now you say, well, I don't want to do that. Why would I get your book? <laughs> well, but what you want to know is what he did to do this. This guy ran 84 to 86 miles a day, Bill. Ran 20, what, it was 21 hours a day. Slept only three hours a night. For 11 straight days, but at the end, he was in better shape than when he started. Now, this guy was not superhuman. He was not even a runner at one time. He did this by training his mind and his body instead of specific strategies. He started out by changing his belief because most people say it's impossible. So he went down to South America 
where he found an Indian tribe that once a year on this holiday, for fun, they run 75 miles. <laughs> so he's like, great fun. You know, great fun. But they love it. And he found out what they did to enjoy it. And it was addictive. And so he saw it could be done. And then the second thing he had to do is, you know, if you talk to runners, they all talk about before running a marathon, and most of them hit the wall, let's go out and do a carb load. Let's eat all this pasta and stuff so that we have all these calories to burn off. Well, how could a guy run 84, 86 miles and not burn out? It's equivalent to three marathons a day for 11 straight days. Now, the way he did it is he trained his biochemistry to burn fat. Now, that's something everybody's interested in. Everybody's got that extra five or ten pounds. You go on a diet, what do you do? The body goes into a starvation mode. It says, the minute I get some fat, i got to be more efficient at saving it. So sure enough, now when you get off the diet and you eat, you eat even less, but you gain fat faster. So what I try to do is take what he does and show you exactly what you could do with yourself. Not so you run 1,000 miles, but so you have the vitality. I do this in each area, your relationships, your finances, your emotions. So where does this belong on the bookstore shelf? This sounds like pop psychology, sounds like a diet book, sounds like a personal finance book. It is a combination of all those things. What it really is is a book on how to create lasting change. It's a personal development, step-by-step program, really. I hate even calling it a book because it really is guiding you step-by-step to how to make changes in your life. But the key word, I think, is the word you used a few moments ago, strategy. I agree. I agree. Because, again, you can have all the right resources, but if you don't organize those resources together, you're not going to get the result. A classic example, a, a man or a woman who's attracted some of the opposite sex, and they really would like to communicate it, but they can't. That business guy, when he's doing a negotiation, he's as confident as possible. But all of a sudden, you put him in front of this lady, and he can't say anything. So what he has is he has the resources. They're just not organized properly. And the same thing is true in our personal lives, our emotional lives. So a lot of people want to do public speaking. Well, they're wonderful one-on-one. You put them in front of a camera, you put them in front of a microphone, you put them in front of a group of people, and they freak out. So what we do is show you how to take the confidence you had, let's say, when you ran track in high school, and we attach that to now approaching your business or asking for a raise or getting in front of the microphone or whatever you want to do. And suddenly things change because human performance is not based so much on ability and not so much even on skill as it is the mental and emotional state you're in. It's like we've all had times, Bill, and I'm sure you've even had it even as a pro, where you know you can't remember what you're doing. You're in the microphone, you go, what am I doing here? Or, or you forget how to spell some simple word like the, you know what I mean? You know, your home, own home telephone number. You know how to do that. How come you can't think of how to spell the? Well, What's the number for 911? That's right. What's the number for 911? That's a good one. <laughs> But when that's happening, what's occurring? You're in a stupid state, you know, and it's just not. But in a few minutes, it'll change, and you'll remember it. Well, the same thing is true with human performance. What we need to do is put ourselves in the right state. If you want to go right, for example, and you try and force yourself to write, you're going to have a long time trying to write. I've tried it. What you've got to first do is put yourself in a creative state of mind, and then writing happens automatically. But what we try to do is we want to lose weight. That's not what you're going to do. If You first have to be in the right state to lose weight. You first have to be in a state of determination. When you're determined, it's easy to lose weight. But it's when we try to approach things, bass backwards, as they say, that we're not going to succeed. So we need the right strategy, step by step. And the best way to do that is find a great role model. Somebody's already getting results. Find out exactly what they're doing, do the same things, and then don't become their disciple, myself included. What you do is then figure out how to improve it for you, how to customize it for you. And what I try to do in this book is bring you some of the best strategies from the most successful people in the country. But we're born with, with or maybe I shouldn't say we're born with, but we develop as children attitudes and beliefs and and notions about the world and about ourselves and those stick with us for the rest of our lives don't they well they can you're absolutely right and that's the scary part the scary part is your whole life is being controlled by a force that every moment you're alive how you think how you feel and what you do is controlled by a force you didn't set up and that's your beliefs and values 
Most of that, as you say, you've picked up along the way. But that's not to say you have to be that way for the rest of your life. That's what this is. Awaken the giant within. It's, it's a wake-up call. It's saying wake up and realize what's happening to you and that you can take control. Because most people live what I call the Niagara Syndrome. They jump on the river of life. They have no idea where they're going. And pretty soon they're caught up in the current. Current events, current demands, current challenges, current fears. They're no longer designing a life. They're making a living. And one day they get to those forks in the river where they've got to make important decisions. They don't, they're not even awake. They don't even notice it. They just go with the flow. Until one day they wake up and they're five feet from Niagara Falls in a boat with no oars and they go, oh, shoot. But at that point, it's too late. You're going to take a fall, an emotional fall, a physical fall, a relationship fall. So this book is about finding out what do you value most in the world. After this short break, Tony Robbins explains why we need to listen to our negative emotions. Now back to my 1991 interview with Tony Robbins. When I look at somebody and they got a drinking problem or a smoking problem or a depression problem you know, or a cocaine problem, a problem abusing somebody in their family, it is not a cocaine problem. It's not an abuse problem. It's not a drinking problem. It's a fulfillment problem. They are not fulfilled, and there's a reason, because they don't know what they value, and they don't know how to win the game of life because they've got a set of rules that make it impossible. I mean, I'll give you a classic example. I had a guy, I'll never forget this. I use this example a lot because it's so funny. But unfortunately, it's funny in a tragic way. This guy is a CEO of one of the major Fortune 500 companies. He comes to my seminar, and we're exploring how we make decisions because that's what controls our life. Lots of people have been through all kinds of tragedies, and yet their lives are wonderful. Other people have given every advantage, schooling, education, support, and they're drug addicted. Now, how do you explain the difference? Decisions about what to focus on, how to think, and what to do. That's what controls your whole life. So I'm asking this guy, I said, you know, are you successful? And I was doing it tongue-in-cheek. And he said, well, of course not. I said, of course not? He said, no. And he was dead serious. And I said, you know, here's this guy, CEO. You know, he's got five children. They're all real close to him. He's very close to his wife. He makes, you know, a million and a half dollars a year in salary, plus a bunch more in bonus. He's a marathon runner. And he doesn't feel successful. I said, what has to happen for you to feel successful? And his rules, and we all have a set of rules about what has to happen if we let ourselves feel good. His rules were, well, I have a lot of things. Like what? Well, if you're really successful, you never get frustrated with your kids. <laughs> well, he's got five of them. What's <laughs> his chance of being frustrated? <laughs> I got four, I can tell you, 100%. You know, so the law of averages says one of them is going to be a little frustrating at times. That's his life. Now, what else has to happen? Well, you have to have 8% body fat. He's got nine. Poor guy, right? What else has to happen? You have to make $3 million a year in salary. He almost makes that with his bonuses, but that doesn't count because you have to have that much in salary or you're a failure. And he's dead serious, and he doesn't feel good. Now, in the same room, Bill, I've got another guy who everybody loves in the room. He's bouncing off the walls. One of those just fun people to be with. I said, sir, are you successful? He said, of course. I said, what has to happen for you to feel successful? He said, well, I have to wake up each day, look down, and see that I'm above ground. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, every day above ground is a great day, you know? So his rules make it possible. And so most of us have wired ourselves where it's very easy to feel pain and very hard to feel pleasure. All you have to do to feel pain is have somebody not notice you. What does it take for you to feel pleasure? You've got to do everything perfect 100% of the time and be Mother Teresa simultaneously. So what we have to be able to do is change these beliefs. And what Awaken the Giant Within does is it shows you systematically how to find out what are the beliefs that are keeping you from being able to do things you want to do and feel the things you want to feel. And how can you change those? How to do that literally in minutes instead of months or years or never, which is what happens for most people. Why do I need to pay attention to my negative emotions? Because your negative emotions, ah, you did your homework, I'm impressed. Um, your negative emotions don't really exist. Uh, what I call them is action signals. 
if you're feeling, for example, uh, a situation where you feel hurt or you feel angry, that's a signal to your brain saying that something has to change. Either the way you're thinking about this has to change, your perception. You're looking at it in a way that makes you feel angry. You need to look at it from a different perspective. Or you need to change the way you're doing things, maybe the way you're communicating to other people, maybe the way you're approaching things in your life. All emotion is there to serve us. Now, every emotion, depression, frustration, anger, all those things we usually think of negative, they serve our purpose if we listen to them, if we don't allow them to overwhelm us. I mean, if you get so depressed that you're to the point where you can't do anything, now it no longer serves its purpose. It is only there as a messenger to you to say you've got to make a change. And in the book, I outline ten of the emotions, negative emotions, and what each message delivers us and what we need to do to take advantage of it. But it's more important than just knowing those ten individual messages is to change your belief that there is nothing in the world, there is no emotion that's bad as long as it's used appropriately. Instead of trying to stuff your emotions, which is what most people do, or pretend they're not there, that doesn't work either. Or some people, they go compete. You think you got it bad. Let me tell you how bad I got it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a badge of courage. Instead of that, you need to learn from your emotions. If you learn from them, you can enhance the quality of your life immediately. But you can take that too far the other way, too. I mean, when you're talking about getting angry at something, you see it from another point of view. Isn't anger useful sometimes? Yes, that, that's just, my point. I mean, no, but I mean, I mean if, if you start seeing If it motivates you to make a change, it can be fantastic. I mean, a lot of people don't make a change until they hit what we call emotional threshold, mm-hmm. where they finally said, I've had it. I mean, that's what happened to me. Eight years ago, I was in a position, I met you six years ago or five years ago, shortly after I made the changes, but I was in a position where I had let my standards for myself drop gradually to the point where I was sabotaging myself. Well, I lived in a 400-square-foot bachelor apartment in Venice, California, feeling sorry for myself, jaded. I never used drugs, but I used food like a drug. Gained 38 pounds in about two and a half months. Not easy to do. You've got to eat tons of food and not move very much to pull that off, which I managed to pull off. And I, I was just, you know, I was watching, you know, soap operas. I mean, that was my whole thing. I, I could tell you the whole story of Luke and Laura in General Hospital. I know the whole thing. All the things I used to make fun of other people about, I was involved with. But what changed me is I finally hit rock bottom. Some people never do that, where I finally got so mad. Because my brain said, hey, you are more than you're demonstrating emotionally and spiritually and physically and financially. This is a joke. And one day I raised my standards. And one day I said, this is it. And instead of just getting mad, though, I went to focus on strategy. I said, okay, who has been fat like me and become thin and stayed thin? And I found out they didn't just go on a diet. They conditioned their mind to change the way they felt about foods they used to be addicted to. So they didn't have to use willpower. It was automatic. Who has been able to attract the woman of their dreams or my dreams? And I met this guy and talked to him, and I found out he wasn't chasing ladies. He became. He sat down one day and said, what kind of man would I have to be to attract the kind of woman I want? Changed my whole tack. Six months later, attracted my wife. Um, looked around and said, okay, who's been broke like me and become wealthy in America by adding value? I looked at, there were tons of role models. There weren't just one or two. And in less than a year, I was a millionaire. I moved from my 400-square-foot bachelor apartment to a 10,000-square-foot castle. Now, I don't tell you that to impress you, but I want to impress upon you what's real. Because in our society, we're asleep. We have forgotten what we're capable of. We've forgotten what we can really achieve as people. We've bought into a vision of our life that is so far below who we really are. It's a joke. And that's why most people are walking around never wanting to get their hopes up. Because, boy, if I get my hopes up, I'll just be devastated. Well, that is a false belief. That's based on the past. And the past does not equal the future. What you and I have to do is realize that whatever we've done up now hasn't worked, so we have to change our approach. And the fact that it hasn't worked, all that is is a signal you've got to find a better way. And I'm trying to offer people some better ways. I think success in America in the 80s became about money, and I've done extremely well. I'm a multimillionaire. I have nine companies. But 
I believe that that is part of the American dream. But the whole American dream, real success comes from doing well enough that you can contribute to others. And a major part of my book and a major part of my life is getting people to not become Mother Teresa, but to find some way to go out and give a little bit of your time or energy. Do it for your own benefit, if nothing else, because it'll change your identity. It'll change how you feel about yourself. See, when I was 11 years old, I was very fortunate. I grew up very poor financially. And one day at Thanksgiving, literally, no food. Now, we wouldn't have starved. I'm sure we would have found a way. We always did. But there was no Thanksgiving dinner. And somebody came and knocked on our door. And we opened the door. Here's this guy in this rumpled outfit with this big box of food. And, of course, my dad didn't want to take it. I mean, it had everything, turkey and, you know, all the, the dressings and canned goods. I mean, even a pan to cook it in. And the guy said, look, you know, I'm just the delivery person. You've got to take it. So we did, and that changed my life because that day I realized the power of giving. I mean, I realized, I realized that people cared. I realized no matter how bad things look, there's hope. And I promised myself back then that someday I'd do well enough to give something back. So when I turned 18, I started doing that at the prisons. I started donating my time. And then I also at 18 is the first time I started feeding people at Thanksgiving what I now call basket brigades, where I went out and I just said, okay, instead of just sitting here and eating turkey and getting fat on Thanksgiving, maybe I could go out the day before or that day and feed two families. And I did, and I came as the delivery person, not the giver, so it didn't feel like charity. And I left a note that said, look, this is from somebody who cares about you. You deserve to have a great Thanksgiving Please do well enough someday to give this gift back to someone else. So I planted the seed. Tony Robbins is 61 now. He lives in Florida. And you can find easy Amazon links to Tony Robbins' books at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my 1998 interview with another man who built himself up from nothing, Sir Richard Branson. We take on the airline industry, it is virgin territory for us. If we take on the record industry, it's virgin territory. If we take on the banks, it's virgin <laughs> territory. So we were very, very, very fortunate coming up with that particular name. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. In fact, if there's a platform where you can't find us, let me know. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, as we launch the new NBA season, we'll revisit my interview with one of the key members from the, those legendary 1969-70 New York Knicks. My 1988 interview with Walt Frazier. Everywhere we went in those days, they wanted to know, are you Will Chamberlain or are you the Globetrotters? <laughs> those were the only two people that they knew. So by the Knicks winning and being New York, we added a lot of glamour to the NBA. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.